Ready, set, go. Anyway, um, but maybe, maybe the story of the burning bush is familiar to you because you heard it as a child. Um, and the story takes up all of chapter 3 and half of chapter 4. We're not going to read all of it. We're going to skip at, at one point, so just follow me here. Let's read together, Exodus, starting in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people, To the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now we'll skip down to verse 10 of chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. (coughs) Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands Forever. This is God's word for us tonight. 
There's a common refrain every year around 9-11, or on 9-11 actually. Uh, you know, there's a common refrain for most people that uh, were old enough to remember that day uh, that they either tweet or they say, I remember, I remember where I was, I remember what I was doing. And then uh, the hashtag or the phrase continues throughout that day, we will never forget. Right? And I know for myself, speaking for myself as a senior in high school, I know as cliche as it sounds, we will never forget. We'll never forget what that day was like, what it was like to huddle in classrooms and turn TVs on and wonder to ourselves, is our country under attack? Like, is it going to happen anywhere else? Now, it was kind of foolish for us in Jackson, Mississippi at a little white private school to think anything was going to happen to us. But the thought crossed your mind. What's going to happen here? What is going on? And there was this remarkable unity Uh, like I've never seen, at least in my lifetime, across the country in the immediate aftermath of the event, that whatever it takes, we've got to band together and deal with this to help those that have been affected and then also to go after those who have done this to us. Because for a lot of people in our country, for the first time in their lives, they came face to face with bold and bald evil, naked evil, pure evil, uh, and that it would take lives in that Kind of fashion. It was an event that as a country, it laid us bare, but at the same time, there was this feeling in all of us that you knew it demanded a response. I don't know what we're going to do, but we've got to do something. You felt it. It was a palpable feeling. I wanted to run off and join the army right then. Um, you can ask my mother. She was not happy with me. Um, in this passage in Exodus 3, Moses too has an encounter. Moses comes face to face with a holy God. And this is what it does to him. It lays him bare and it demands a response. It lays him bare and it demands a response. It rattles him, it shakes him to the core, and he's never the same after this. It laid him bare. Yet it demanded a response from him. That's what happens when you encounter, when we encounter the holy, when we come face to face with the holy. So I want to look at three things about the holy here tonight, okay? First, the holy burns. Second, the holy undoes. And finally, we'll see the holy transforms, okay? First one is the holy burns. Well, why does the holy burn? Well, because at least in this passage, it's like fire. There's something to this image of choice because it's actually one of God's favorite forms of showing up. Uh, The first time is actually all the way back in Genesis 15 when God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. He puts Abraham in a deep sleep. He makes this covenant cutting ceremony and Abraham sees a fire pot pass through the pieces of the animals during this covenant cutting ceremony. It's God himself in fire. Later on in this very story, God will lead the people in a pillar of cloud and fire. I have no idea what that looked like, but he will lead them in the wilderness and through the wilderness in this pillar of cloud and fire. Um, He'll descend on Mount Sinai in smoke and fire. There's something to this image of choice for God. And I think this is what it draws us to. This is why I think fire really is kind of the perfect image for what I think God is trying to get across because there's a tension here, isn't there? There's a tension here when Moses looks at it, right? There's a bush on fire, but it's not being burned up. So like, I've got to go see it. I've, I've got to go see what this is about. And it's God himself is calling him to come, right? But there's a tension. Why? Because God also warns him not to come near. 
What's going on here that God says, Moses, Moses, but then he says, wait, don't come any closer. Well, for starters, we're being told, I think, like fire. You don't play with fire, right? It's God who sets the tone of this encounter, and Moses is the one hiding his face. And so Moses is going to walk away from this first and foremost knowing that he has been in the presence of the holiness of God. And again, there's something about fire I don't know how much, you know, holiness or holy, that idea, if you grew up in church especially, it's one of those Christian-y things that we think about, but do we really know what it means? Uh, we usually think, at least for ourselves, it means, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, um, don't, be, uh, don't be unfaithful to your spouse, you know, whatever, whatever you think. But I want you to think about this image of fire, why this is such a good image for us to begin understanding the holiness of God. Well, first, think of it aesthetically. Moses sees it, he looks at it, And he's drawn to it, like moth to a flame, you might say. I don't know about you, maybe I'm the only pyro in the room, but I do this with fire at our barn dance back in November, right? We had this ginormous bonfire, and it was amazing. One, it was amazing because it was freezing. But two, it's just awesome to see huge flames. I don't know what it, maybe it's it's a guy thing, I don't know. But I love burning things. Is that too much to, I'll edit that out of the podcast. But it's like fire, though. You know, he gets close, but then when he gets too close, he hides his face. You know, isn't this why, do most of y'all know that Netflix has a fireplace that you can play on your TV, right? Y'all ever done this just for fun? I've done it when I'm by myself. I'm like, I think I'll turn the fire on. It's just a fire. And it's actually three episodes of fire. Did you know that? And here's one of the descriptions of the episode of fire. This installment includes an old-fashioned wood-burning fireplace. Enjoy the bright and cheery flames and the real crackling of the fire. And you're like, I think I'll check that out. (laughs) You can't help it, right? We love it, and we may be even long. We may be even long to look into the flames. But the beauty of the Netflix fire is I can get as close as I want, and I won't get burned, right? Whether or not we understand the holiness of God or not, or admit it or not, I would say that there's something in us that is fascinated by it. And I would suggest to you that there's something in us because God made us that is drawn to it. I mean, as the author of Ecclesiastes told us that he set eternity in our hearts. And there's something in us that is drawn to the holiness of God. But we also all know instinctually that there's something about the holiness of God that the closer I get to it, it burns. The holiness of God burns because there's something about the nature of God. There's something in the nature of God that banishes and endangers anything that is not holy. And the sad reality of the story of our world and our lives is that we are not holy. And so for an unholy person to be in the presence of God is to be burned up. And so God rightly and lovingly, I might add, tells Moses, stop. Don't come closer. Yet, he shows his desire for Moses to remain there because he provides him the conditions to stay, right? God, Moses has come face to face with God. And to come face to face with this God is to come face to face with the holy The holy and holiness burns away anything that you've ever thought about bringing into his presence as leverage or as something you could stand on. It burns that away. You cannot come into the presence of this God thinking that you can bring anything. His holiness will burn it away. But second, 
Second thing about fire is this preferred image. Think about this. Any material in this world you can mold. I can mold clay. I can mold wood. I can mold stone. I can mold metal. I could even mold a diamond. The hardest substance, right, can scratch anything. You can't mold fire. You can't control it. And you see the name, right? This kind of fits the name that he gives Moses down there further in uh, chapter 3. What's your name? And how weird is that? Have you ever read that and gone like, what is that getting at? I am who I am. This is the first time explicitly that God has revealed this name. And he says, you tell them I am sent you. And you see what I think God is saying. Just like the flame in the bush that burns but does not consume. God, this God is a living, self-maintaining, self-sufficient, utterly independent being. God is saying, I create in my image. I fashion all things. There is nothing that fashions me. I am who I am, and that's it. You tell them that God sent you. It's a fascinating answer, I think. So before we move on, I mean, I think it's interesting to think. What has your relationship with God been like? Um, Maybe you've been skeptical. Maybe you've been on the outskirts of a relationship with him or Christians. Maybe you've been on the outside of community with Christians. Maybe you have a strong relationship with God, but you know that there are times where you look up, whether literally or figuratively, and you say, I just don't know what you're doing. Or you maybe even go so far as to say, God, I cannot believe you did this. Now, look, there are plenty of people in the Bible who say these things and feel these things. It's not unnatural to feel these things, right? But here's a question about any feeling you've ever had with God, whether mad or sad or disappointed. God can handle that. But here's the question. Is your problem with who he is? Or is your problem with what you want him to be? This God looks at us straight in the face as he invites us to his holiness. and says, I am who I am. And you're going to have to come to know that first. And it might burn. Actually, I think it's pretty uh, a sure thing that it will. Let's move on to further understand this. Oh, sorry. One more thing. There is a comfort. There is a comfort to be found in the blazing fire of God's holiness. Because it's this, in, in, in the context of him saying I am, he says to all your problems, to all your fears, and to all your doubts, God meets those and God answers those with this, I am. Meaning your fears don't drive me away and, I, and they cannot overcome me. Your confusion doesn't drive me away and it cannot overcome me. Your anger does not drive me away and it cannot overcome me. This is what Moses encounters in the wilderness of his exile. God's terrible and awful holiness in the truest dictionary senses of those words. Yet, God invites him and provides the means for him to stay. I am who I am the holy burns. Well, let's, let's move on here. The holy undoes. The holy undoes. So Moses is invited in, but he's afraid to look, okay? And what follows here, if you read the whole interchange, what follows here is nothing short of a very unflattering picture of Moses. This is going to be like the hero of the entire Old Testament, okay? 
Moses was like the hero of the Old Testament, even greater than David. Without Moses, there's no David. Okay, Moses was it. But when God meets him in the wilderness of his exile, he falls apart. And what comes gushing out of him is every insecurity he has ever had. Now, part of this is natural, right? Because we saw that he screwed it up in uh, Exodus chapter 2. That had to have bruised his ego uh, rather badly. Five times he gives an excuse as to why God should not call him. He goes so far as in 4.13 to say, please send somebody else. To which, if you read verse 14, the Hebrew literally reads, God's nostrils burned against Moses. That's not the way you want his holiness to burn, by the way. And here it is. This is what Moses is giving you. This is man's response to God's holiness. This is how man responds when he has truly beheld the holiness of God. There's no other way around it. Moses is invited in, but he's afraid. We see the same thing happen to the prophet Isaiah. To be a prophet was to be the mouthpiece of God. That was your job, your career. God spoke to you and you spoke on his behalf to the kings and to all the people. God gives Isaiah a vision of his throne room and the vision of his holiness filling that throne room. And Isaiah, it's a vision. It's not even in person. He can do nothing but scream out, woe is me, for I am undone. Feels like he's falling apart. John, the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, I find this fascinating. The Apostle John was known as the beloved disciple, meaning of all the 12 disciples, nobody had a closer relationship, more intimate relationship with Jesus than John. They were very close. And in Revelation 1, Jesus appears to John again in a vision. And John says, I beheld him and I fell down as if I were dead. This is man's response to the fire of God's holiness. Moses came face to face with the God that was going to raise him up and make him a deliverer, right? And what comes gushing out of him is every insecurity he can think of. He is chronically unsure of himself. And so here's what I think we're being told. You know when you've met this God, when your inadequacy comes pouring out of you. When you stood in the presence of this God, you see just how empty you really are. But here's the question. What if that is precisely the moment when God begins to work? And precisely the moment that he begins to show you that he is the one that will fill you up. I've been reading this book called The Soul of Shame by a guy named Kurt Thompson. Uh, and he says this, and I think it's true. I know it's true for me. He says, if human experience, uh, if all the elements of human experience were on the periodic table, uh, shame would be carbon, like the base block of every living organism. We all have it. We all deal with it, right? And he goes on to say that the thing about being human is that we're storytelling creatures. We use stories uh, to make sense of the things that have happened to us and the things that we long for and desire. And so if we're going to deal with shame, knowing our own story, to know our own story is then to know shame's place in it. Because it's somewhere in there. 
And we're dealing with it in some way. And he gives this basic definition of shame. He says this. He says, shame is the felt sense that I do not have what it takes to tolerate this moment or this circumstance. Shame is the felt sense that I do not have what it takes to tolerate this moment or circumstance. Is that not exactly where we find Moses? God appears to Moses. God calls Moses and he is filled with shame. And it comes pouring out of him. What is it that made this shame come out of him? Being in the presence of God. That's what did it. And you think, well... I don't think I want to go to this God anymore, right? Look what he does here. He hides his face. He hides his face, but interestingly, he can't take his eyes off himself. 3.11, he says, who am I to be this deliverer? 3.13, he says, but I don't know your name. 4.1, he says, but they won't believe me. 4.10, he says, but God, I'm not a good speaker. And then finally in 4.13, he says, look, I'm here, but please send somebody else. Now, here's what's amazing. You read through it, even when God's nostrils burn. Again, let's not aim for that. Look how patient God is with him. He doesn't brush his insecurities aside as irrelevant, you know, maybe like your mom used to do. And just say, it's okay, sweetie. Doesn't do that. He also doesn't change his insecurities right here. He doesn't wave a magic wand and say, well, here, now they're gone. He also doesn't hold them against him. He doesn't sit back and say, Moses, I know that you're terrible. That's the point. He doesn't say that. But here's the question. If God already knows all of this, why expose Moses to his shame? Well, again, Kurt Thompson says this. The healing of shame begins and ends in the experience of being known. The healing of shame begins and ends in the experience of being known. And here's the thing. Being known by this God utterly undoes us because it lays us bare to the spiritual bone. And we realize that nothing is hidden All of it is in his knowledge, in his experience. In other words, exposure is the very thing that shame requires for healing. And it might just feel like you're being undone. And so God presents himself to Moses and invites Moses into his presence. And Moses responds, get this. Moses says, God, God, I'm inadequate. I'm inadequate. I'm inadequate. But what does God say? God says, I know Moses, but I am who I am. And so what God keeps doing, Moses is like, Moses, I understand, but look at me. Moses, I understand, but look at me. Moses, I understand, but look at me. Look at me. Commentator Alec Motier puts it like this. If you think about it. The Lord had not solved Moses' problems by changing him, either inwardly in feeling or temperament, or outwardly in effectiveness. The whole intent of God had been an entirely different direction. When Moses was faced with his calling to bring God's people out of Egypt, his reaction was, I can't, so I won't. The Lord, however, sought to bring him to the point where he would say instead, I can't, but he can, therefore I will. I can't, 
but he can, therefore I will. That is the obedience of faith. Now, I love that clincher right there. What is God bringing Moses to? Faith. This is Moses' conversion experience, y'all. He's bringing him to faith. To meet this God is to be brought to faith. It is to have faith. God was bringing Moses to the point where he would obey in faith. God doesn't change him or his situation right there, but he points to himself in order to bring him to faith. I want to ask you, I want you to be real. Again, faith, I feel like I say this every semester. I feel like faith is another one of those Christian-y words that if we've been around Christianity or the church, we know that it's a Christian word, but do we really know how it applies in our life? Is it that thing I did that one time at that conference? Is it that thing, I'm tr- am I trying to do it every day? Is it just when I have a big decision to make and I need to ask God to, if I need to leap out in faith? What is it? Do we str- why do we struggle so much with the concept of faith? Is it hard for you to read through the Gospels and people bring these problems to Jesus? Is it hard for you when Jesus looks at them and goes, just have faith? I'm, I'm going to be honest. When I read that, I'm like, I get it. But come on, Jesus. Like a little bit more. Just believe. Just have faith. And I'm like, I'm trying. I thought. Maybe not. But here it is. Listen to me here. To meet this God is to have faith. That's it. To discover that he is adequate to meet your needs that were revealed in the fires of his holiness. What is it that makes you convicted of your sin? What is it that makes you feel like you've fallen short? It's God's holiness. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What is the truth? That this God who created all things is righteous. And He's holy. And it's revealed to us whether we recognize it and accept it or not. I want you to think, what are the things in your life, if you try, if you think about these things, maybe you don't, but what are the things in your life that cause you to question faith? That either cause you to question it as a solution or the answer, or either cause you to question whether you have it or not. What are those things? When you have spiritual doubts, maybe about the Bible or about God or about Jesus, you name it. Does that make you feel like you must not have faith? Do you still find yourself struggling with the same things maybe? And you look at yourself all these years or all these days, however long it's been since your conversion, and you say, I thought it was supposed to be different. And you look at yourself, but why do I still love getting drunk? Or why do I still want to? Why do I still struggle with hating that person? I know I'm not supposed to, but I hate them. Do I still struggle with my anger? Because you don't know what they did to me. Do I still want to take my clothes off with somebody? Anybody? What are the things that cause you to question faith? Why do I still get depressed? Why am I still anxious? Why does school still kill me? I don't know what it is. Now, hear me here. True faith does bear fruit in repentance and good works. But hear me. God does not change Moses right then and there. He could have, but he didn't. He simply 
brings him to rely on the promises. Why? To bring him to faith. And let me be so bold as to suggest to you, if you've never come to that point, you've never had faith. And if you understand, if you understand faith in any other way, you are going to burn out if you haven't already. Because when your faith is shaken, when you're struggling with it, when you're unsure of yourself, what is going to be your most common prescription? What are you going to try to tell yourself to reassure yourself? You're going to say, well, I prayed a prayer or I will pray a prayer or I will ask Jesus into my heart or I will make Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. Or I will commit my life or I will recommit my life or I will re 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 commit my life. I'll be sold out. I'll be on fire. I'll be unleashed. I'll be unchanged. Any other hashtag you want to give your youth conference, right? You see what all the problem with all of those is, right? They all depend on you. And you wonder why you struggle with faith. Because it's not about you. It's about this God. You'll say to yourself, I need to repent more. Yes, you do. Me too. You'll say, I just need to get rid of all my doubts. Okay, but how are you going to do that? And the thing is, when we think of faith like this, we've got to understand we have gone right past Christianity. Scared of our own inadequacy. And we go through our life with our shame telling us that we're not enough and that disqualifies us. But the thing that God is telling Moses here is it's the very thing that qualifies you, Moses. Because remember, when you thought that you had it, you messed it all up. And I'm the God who never changes and I will be known as this God throughout all generations. And I am about the business of taking screw ups like you and making you into what I will. The holy undoes us. But as we see, I think beautifully, it's not God's intent to leave us there. And so finally, we see that the holy transforms. One thing is undeniable about this encounter as you read through the story. Moses is transformed. Moses was forever changed. How do we know this? Because at the end of chapter 4, he packs up his family and he goes back to Egypt. That's it. This guy who didn't look like he could mow the grass if God asked him to. Packs up his family, goes back to Egypt. That's it. Pastor Tim Keller puts it like this. God only calls in to himself when he's going to send out. God only calls in when he is going to send out. And so he does with all of us. I want you to think about this. The point of the whole ordeal was so Moses could go free slaves. It's the point of this whole personal encounter that Moses has with God. To go free slaves. And I want you to seriously ask yourself the question, couldn't God have done that on his own? 
Couldn't God have done that without Moses? Couldn't God have spoken to Pharaoh without Moses? Couldn't God have turned the Nile into blood without Moses? Couldn't God have done every single one of the plagues without Moses? Could He have parted the sea, the Red Sea without Moses? Could He speak to the people at Mount Sinai and give them the law without Moses? He could have done all of these things without Moses, but that was not His plan. He wanted to send them a Savior. You shall be as God to him. I will be with your mouth. You will speak what I have to say. And here's the thing. Here's the connection. It's exactly what God is still doing today. Jesus could save any single one of you right now without me and without RUF, without Mississippi State, without anything. But that's not how he's chosen to do it. John chapter 4, Jesus said he was the living water. And then in John chapter 7, he says, Those who believe in me, into their hearts flows a river of living water, and it will flow out of their heart. John chapter 13, he says, By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John chapter 14, he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do. How is that possible? We get a hint of it in John chapter 8 when the teachers are arguing with Jesus. And the main argument at this point in John chapter 8 is, look, we would know if you were from God because we descended from Abraham. And you want to know what Jesus looks him back in the face and says, Jesus had a sense of humor, y'all. We would know you were from God because we are descended from Abraham. You want to know what Jesus says back to them? Okay. Before Abraham was, say it, I am. Guess what they wanted to do after he said that? Kill him. Why? Because he was claiming to be the one in the bush. That was me. Moses knew it was me because Moses is a child of God. So do your own math is what he was telling the teachers. This is what before Abraham was, I am. You want to know, this is what Jesus is saying. You want to know if I'm telling the truth. Well, here it is. There is never a time when was will refer to me because I am. And so this is what I leave you with tonight. Do you want to hear that tonight? Do you need to hear that tonight? That in every place, at every point of time, in every circumstance of need, Jesus stands continually and says, I am. Y'all, that's the only way a whiner like Moses, and might I add a whiner like me, would be sent out to do the things that he did. Because in Jesus, we have a God who is both holy and loving. He holds the tension perfectly. He is the just and the justifier. He is the righteous one because he was slain as the unrighteous one on our behalf. He's the reason that we can be invited in. And he's the reason that we have the power to go out. He became and bore our inadequacy. So that he could be our adequacy. And I really want you to ask yourself this. 
Do you really believe that that's enough? Because what God was trying to tell Moses was, look at me. It's enough. I am. It's an invitation for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would draw us into your presence. That we would behold you as you are. Enthroned in heaven. Arrayed in majesty and splendor and glory and holiness. That as we hear the truth that without holiness no one will see the Lord. That we will be reminded. That for all of those of us in Christ... We have been justified and we have been sanctified and we have been glorified. We need this, Father. Would you pour it out on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.